0: talk today about migrants and the state of long-term care and I intentionally um, use the long-term care um, uh, label while it's not really does not really resonate to the UK situation here we call it social care and sometimes adults with children but this is what broadly internationally what we're talking about so briefly I um, just to give introduction about the structure of this presentation, um, we're going to try to look together about what we mean by international migrants. Um, what is the definition? Uh, who are we talking about? Um, and then a little bit more about long-term care, because not, a lot of people may not know the term or uh, realize it as a, as a labor market sector. Um, then, perhaps, I'll give you an overview of the workforce and why it is um, in need of migrants' contribution, and then give you more information about the contribution that we know about. Um, then, we'll have a bit of reflection. I'm going to kind of use um, information and evidence coming from three main sources. The first one is uh, quantitative index analysis of a new national data on the workforce, which we're very glad that it has been happening because um, long-term care workforce is an unknown workforce in many countries. Um, And in England, there has been uh, a way of collecting data about this workforce through other bigger surveys like the Labour Force Survey, but it's always difficult and I know Alicia here would, would say more about that. It's very difficult to really pinpoint what exactly the workforce, the social care workforce, if you use other sources which have not really designated to collect information about this workforce. So, recently, in 2007, uh, something called uh, the National Minimum Data Set for Social Care has been introduced in England, which basically collects information about the workforce from the employer providers of. Of care. There is, um, it, it's quite a big data set that is growing and covering information now of nearly a million or over three quarters uh, of a million of, uh, of workers. But of course, it has its limitations, and we will talk about this when we present some of the findings. The other piece of uh, the other study that I'll be reporting from is um, a kind of a major large scale. Uh, mixed methods study that looked at international social care workers in England and it took place from 2007 to um, end of 2009 and it was based mainly on kind of qualitative evidence uh, with one to one interviews with nearly 256 people uh, among them around 100 um, migrants but also we talked to other UK workers in the sector, we talked to employers and we talked to um, human research, research manager and policy makers. Uh, we used some quantitative analysis there as well, but my focus here will be on the qualitative findings. Then lastly, there was um, <clears throat> a follow-on on that study was a national online survey. Um, because the study was based mainly in four areas, and we wanted to, uh, four, actually six areas, And we wanted to see if some of the themes really resonate nationally. So we had an online survey, and we had over 100 people responding to this, all of them migrants. So we could kind of uh, feel more confidence about the themes that we have observed from our interviews. So basically, who are international migrants we're talking about? I looked at the UN definition. It's very broad. And it includes any people working away from their home country. And of course, this, this definition is very, very broad. Um, there are different types of migrants. There are economic migrants who, come, who move mainly for labor, um, move temporarily or um, for a longer term. Uh, there are people who move across countries, spending half a week here or a month here and a month in another country. Um, and there is, of, of course, forced migration Refugees, people move and then they decide to use their skills or their uh, family movements. <coughs> Circular migrants who move, as I said, from one place to the other. There are so many, and of course, all these may overlap. What we, what we, why we kind of look at these groups differently because different people, different groups of migrants from different backgrounds with different characteristics. Um, have different decision-making processes of the movement. And they actually um, include their motives to move and also their experience while they move to the labour sector in another country and perhaps their future plans. But we what we learned really from this research that most plans are subject to change due to the circumstances, um, what the opportunities are, what are the constraints are. So why long-term care? Well, there has been a growing interest over the last decade, both politically and from the policy perspective, about long-term care. We never heard before, for example, in the political run-up to office, anything about social care until the last election, when everybody was talking about social care provision, uh, what's going to happen. And um, in terms of research, over the last couple of decades, there has been a growing body of literature about how we're going to meet the increasing demand, um, so many issues of long-term care provision. And it really refers to supporting adults or older people with um, long-term needs, including disabilities, long-term conditions that require support and assistance outside of hospital settings, so in daily lives, and of course, the older people, the frail, um, etc. And what we need to think is that support can be offered in a variety of settings. Um, it can be in their own homes, it can be residential homes, hospitals, and so on. So, there is a growing demand, and we know why, so I'm just going to go through this very quickly. We know that there has been medical advances. People are living longer, but a lot of people are living longer. Um, and there is a growing ill health life expectancy. So many people are living with long-term conditions. But also infant, may, many of the infants were may in the past have died as little children. They are growing and they are needing more support in their, in their daily lives. Um, we have a lot of demographic changes. And, and social changes in terms of um, family structure, uh, marriage, uh, labor force participation, the availability of a spouse in the old age or the availability of a, a daughter who lives nearby. And migration plays a role here as well about the movements of adults and the movements of older people after retirement. We know that there is now a growing movement among older people to retire somewhere else. So the whole kind of sphere of informal care provision is moving toward um, a more, more and more formal um, uh, circle. So, um, I just spoke here that care can be provided to, um, to, to different groups of people to assist them, but also to improve their quality of life. Um, and there is an emphasis on the well-being of older people their quality of life and their empowerment and their involvement in the society. So, for example, involving uh, older adults with um, severe disabilities in activities, etc. So that gives us a broader kind of client group. So it's not we're not only talking about the older; we're talking about adults as well. And there are two main spheres: the formal and the informal, and migrants can be in both. So you can count them formally um, in in, um, care homes, residential homes, you can see them. You know that they are working there. But also in private, uh, where people basically hire other people to do some work, where perhaps um, the older adults look after the, the elderly in the family, they substitute some of this care by others. Some of them are migrants. And also through domestic workers, because we know that Um, increasingly uh, domestic workers being hired from outside the UK and part of their work will include long-term care provision for the elder. So in terms of former workforce, because it is situated here in England and in the UK under social care, so you have a very big, broad workforce Uh, Ranging from a care assistant, personal assistant, um, to much more qualified workers, like social workers, occupational therapists, and nurses. So if we talk, for example, it's different from if we look at the US, for example, where um, social, social workers are under the human service umbrella, you've got occupational service, um, occupational therapists, all of them under the health umbrella. And you've got the long-term care is more or less more defined. But here, the way the service is provided, you can get a package within a residential care home with all these people coming in and providing care to the same group of clients. So when you count your workforce, um, it, it's much broader. And we can argue that there is two-tier um workforce, whereas more qualified group, uh, such as social workers, occupational purpose, nurses, but also the, re- the less qualified group. Uh, but I put a lot of caution about the less qualified, especially when we talk about migrants, um, and I'll explain why. But um, basically, theoretically, somebody can do an NVQ too, and then become a care worker. Um, and also, there is a huge number of other workers, like uh, cleaners, drivers, etc. And the the reason we separate them because career plans and motivations and attraction of the sector becomes different from these two groups. Now, just to give you an idea about the size and the the characteristic of the social care or the long term care workforce in England, it's a huge it's a huge workforce. It's an estimated to be 1.75 million people in England alone. It's very expanding and what the anecdotes we're getting, the and evidence we're getting, that it's more or less recession proof. The, the service has to be provided. People will pay for the service and they will need people to fill in um, and provide these service. Whether people will be attracted to it if they don't have a job, that's something else. The majority of the care provided through the private sector rather than the state, although some of the money is coming from the state, it goes to the private sector. 75% of the provision coming from the private sector. And this is critical because the situation in the private sector is quite different in terms of working condition, in terms of pay, in terms of turnover and peer support building in general. Um, They are an average older, they're mostly women, and that really reflects the gendered nature of care anyway. Um, But there are a high proportion from BME groups and migrants. And these two may interact, because until recently, we couldn't have data about both to really separate who's BME, UK BME, or who are migrants who perhaps um, require a work permit. Um, so these overlap, um, the high proportion coming from um, uh, black race and mostly our nurses from Africa <clears throat> uh, there is high high vacancy rate and turnover rate um, and it's becoming more and more regulated so that the government policy more and more regulating the care provision while at the same time there is a big push to the personal budget or what we uh, what is called in most European countries cash for care. And with cash for care, all the regulatory um, conditions becomes the responsibility of the user because they are the employer. And that means it's really less regulated and there is quite a, a problematic situation here. And of course it is either state or privately funded, but the, the homes can be state run or privately run but in most cases, it's run by the private sector or the voluntary sector. Now, I just want to give you a snippet of the data that we have. This is based on the NMDS data. Um, here, we have looked at pay um, among the direct care workers group. And direct care workers are a group of workers who are very hands-on, and they are not considered to be professionally qualified. So um, they are like care workers, care assistants, or perhaps senior care worker's personal assistant. And the reason I put this here is just to highlight that... No, I'm sorry. Right, just if you look at them, this is the distribution of the hourly pay rate, um, and most of you will be familiar with this bar chart, and, and the beauty of it that it gives you a quick visual of the distribution of the pay. So on the left hand corner in the top, we've got the pay within local authorities. So we're talking about the same group of workers, so the same job roles, um, the local authority, then the private, then the voluntary. And you can see clearly that the private, the, the bar in the middle is the is the is the median. So you can see clearly that the median pay rate is much lower in the private sector. And if we move here for the region, there is not much difference in terms of where you are in in the country. Now, in the middle, we've got that divided by the type of service. So daycare is the highest one, because it's basically it's like day centers. And it's usually provided by the local authority, by the government. And it's more recreational activity. So it's a place where people come and meet, and they can have activities. And with the cuts, we are seeing more and more of these day service uh, being cut. The residential care is where people go and live, and they are provided with the care. And the the domiciliary care is where people stay in their own homes and workers come to their home. And then there is the community care, which is more or less like the daycare, but it's more in the community. But again, you can see that the residential care is, is the lowest. And this is usually largely provided by a private agency. Now... Gender, not much difference with the direct care, but there was other differences, and not much the ethnicity. But if we look more, focus more about ethnicity, we can see that for the top, you know, for the more highly paid jobs like managers, supervisors, and professional, you can see a clear, significant difference between white and BME. But it's not, it's not apparent in the direct care and, and salary which overall are paid much lower than these two groups. The reason I put in here, the ethnicity because as I said at that time the NMDs didn't collect information about migration and nationality. They have added that recently in October 2010 and I've got a slide here to update this. But um, we can see that there are differences for the higher earners and although it is overall uh, a low paid sector, but um, we can still even see some wages differences. So basically I think you you could come to the conclusion that the position of the long-term care um, uh, labor market as a sector is a secondary labor market. And there are a lot of theories attaching secondary labor market as an attraction to migrants. Um, So there are bases here why we think people from the UK are not kind of um, really interested to do these jobs. It takes a lot um, of kind of uh, willingness to do it, so it's difficult working condition. But also, it may offer flexibility. This is why we see a lot of women, middle-aged women, who may have the experience of caring for their own parents. And then they have some availability of time because kids have grown or whatever, and they can do a little bit of shift. So it offers flexibility. Um, there is unfavorable pay, but one of the key things is image and status in the society. You know, it's not regarded very highly. Even the professional little bit of social workers, it's always in the bad press rather than there is um, a congratulation or celebration of a job done well. So it is, it is also emotionally intensive, but rewarding. And this is what people tell us why they have joined this type of work. It is kind of um, I like to help others and, and, and more altruistic motives. But there are also very recruitment difficulty. There is a business case here. There is a growing demand. Um, home care can be quite a, a lucrative business, um, but you need to staff it and the image is not there, the the conditions are not there, Um, and this is why a lot of employers were looking for migrants to fill fill in the gaps. There are some efforts uh, by the government to attract non-traditional groups, but we are not seeing um, a lot of that in the data. Well, actually, when we looked at the younger group and looked at their characteristics, we found that this particular group was even less diverse. So there are more women; they are more uh, white women, young women, with less qualifications. So it's not it's not attracting really a lot of diversity here. So of course, to move for la- for labour movement, uh, there there are certain issues and factors that facilitate and help such movement. We know that there is great links, historical, political and cultural links between the UK and many countries, especially the Commonwealth and past Commonwealth countries. We've got great links with India, um, Australia, Canada, and we see that actually, the Philippines, we see that in the number of people coming into that sector. So we've got the top coming from the Philippines, social workers, a lot of them coming from Australia, from South Africa, from, from Canada. But we also have the European expansion. So that is a policy thing. And it's making what it means from 2004 that we have more available people coming, perhaps to see if there is a chance to, uh, to have work. Maybe they will return. Maybe they move on to another country. But there are available pool. And we could see that reflecting on the data by you know, a lot of people from Poland, um, the a eight countries, from recently from Romania and Bulgaria. It has direct impact. And also, there is the new immigration cap on non-EA migrants, which took place. And there was an interim cap last year. And um, I I, I don't know if you know that it has been challenged by uh, the Home Care Association, because they felt that they were the the most likely group to be affected by that, because they were recruiting heavily from the Philippines. And actually, they took it to the court, and it was deemed unlawful, and it was stopped. But now, of course, we're getting the real thing coming up. But that tells you how the extent was for employers and how they felt strongly about it. In terms of individual, of course, we've got the need, economic needs, and the needs for movement as well. there is the own capital and building on the own capital whether it's social or skills capital Um, and and we have to think about the decision perspective um, the individual the family, the society and I will talk a little bit more why is that important especially with the care sector because we're attracting a lot of women and how that kind of you know there is a feminine perspective here and there is the, the care gaps and you know um there is other arguments of the equation. And there is a choice, um, and the choice is important because um, when we talk about migrants coming from uh, the Philippines who needs uh, a work permit, who are attached to an employer, they are more or less staying with the same employer. If we talk about migrants coming in from the EU who are free to move around, there is a, a larger element of choice. So basically, both the care ideology um, and migration are becoming more and more evident in, in the in the globalization and the globalization of care. Um, basically, that there is this idea, which this movement that has been happening informally and now formally, more and more formally, of care provided by other people, whether domestic service and it's happening more, it's happening both in the more economically developed countries and also in the less economically developed countries. We know that in the Middle East there is a huge reliance on the Filipinos as domestic workers and as provider of long-term care for the elder and the household. But also we have to realise that skills needed um, to join the care sector are relatively easier than if we say the IT sector or the finance sector. You can you can kind of get these skills, but also it's because it's um, it's a woman job. Uh, th- there is um, a feminine perspective here, and change to the traditional male business of, of migration, um, and it becomes the woman who who moves, who comes to another country, and who sends money back. And there are kind of uh, you know care gaps left there. Um, However, we still have, if you look at the migrants, we still have more men than the UK. So it still attracts some men. Um, and of course, the role of technology and internet and, and you know, how you can be living in one place, but your community in another place, and, and how that play roles in finding an, on the internet uh, a job somewhere else and linking to the agency and trying to get the job from where you are to come to England. And of course, there is a push and pull forces. There is a need, a vacuum need here in the UK. There is a need for a lot of workers. And there is um, a will from other people to come and try. And there are also unrealistic expectations. So there is the media, the the vision of of something that may not really materialize. (laughs) So overall, uh, migrants um, and care to work work. in court, it is a politically contested issue. And it affects both sending and receiving countries. So in terms of sending, you know, there is the issue of whether it's a brain drain. You're taking most of the nurses from the Philippines um, and, and, you know, from Zimbabwe. There was, um, I think, a lot of articles saying that they've taken all social workers from Zimbabwe at one point of time. Versus really, it's a capital to the country and to the families of people coming and also here, you're getting people, meeting demand, willing to do the harder jobs, willing to take the, the difficult shifts, the difficult clients. And also there are issues about integration and how the wider society will accept that or see that as taking their own jobs, which in most cases, not the case. And for the individual level, Is it an opportunity for the individual? Is it an opportunity for a Filipino nurse to come and work as a care assistant? Or is it a de-skilling process where they come to that trap that they really can't move on uh, to do the the jobs that they they have been trained to do? And as a pragmatic issue, there is the different models of care, even within Europe. People come with different ideas of care. Is it institutional? Is it empowering? is it a social or a medical model? And the care gaps we talked about, leaving the elder, leaving the younger, um, and who will provide them the care there. So there is the care culture. And also, within the care culture, you've got the completing tasks idea. And it's not necessarily that they complete tasks and tick box, and we empower residents. Sometimes it's the other way around. So sometimes migrant care workers come with the idea that it's very important to speak with Mrs. Uh, Williams and see how she's doing today and spend 10 minutes with her to see how she's doing, which is good for her emotional well-being. But while here, maybe the the private care employer is more keen that she get her washed and cleaned in that 10 minutes because she's got to see somebody else. there are kind of different ideologies and ideas so from the research, sorry. Why, what is the contribution to, to uh, the English care sector? It's basically from the employer perspective, although we've spoken to so many employers, and they all say they're wonderful, they're hard workers, they bring in a new perspective, they are usually uh, more skilled, but the crunch is filling the gaps. We have shortages. We can't get people to work and migrant workers can accept this type of work. So it's really kind of, um, there is a need to meet um, and this is is the issue. Offering new perspectives sometimes comes as a bonus or or sometimes comes as a conflict of ideas. Um, We have the documented formal work but we also have the grey market which is growing, the anecdote saying that it might be growing. Uh, particularly with um, privately employed, which is the cash for care. But in the formal sector, they they do form a considerable part of the care workforce, at least 20%, and it reaches 50% in areas like London, and nearly 40% among nurses in care homes. So there's a huge contribution. So overall, um, they do have um, a distinctive profile from the UK care workforce. They are significantly younger. Um, they traditionally come from countries with historical links with the UK, like mm. the Philippines. Um, and again, it depends which group you're talking about. If you are talking about the less qualified, they're usually nurses from the Philippines, so they are qualified, but they work as care assistant or, uh, in, in the most, you know, in the best case, senior care assistant. If we talk about the more qualified social workers, occupational therapists, they're coming more from Australia, South Africa. Canada and India, um, and also the care workers, comes a lot of them come from India. We've got more, relatively more men, migrants, so we've got 25% versus 15% in the UK population. And most of them are easily identified by social markers, and we have seen in, in the research that we've done There is a lot of risk of racism by users. And and sometimes this racism and discrimination is is a blanket rather than migrants. It's just about how you look or your accent. Um, And just ideas. But those who have used to come before not from within Europe, there is a, a clear distinctive in terms of their immigration status and in terms of the need for work permit and their reliance on the employer. And that is very critical in the relationship and the power relationship, and 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 the, the freedom as an employee and how they make decisions about moving employer or moving the job and trying somewhere else. So there is an issue here. Um, they usually acquire high level of skills, education, capital before they come in. They're usually. Um, have high level of English uh, professional profession- proficiency uh, because they have to go through this uh, process before getting them their visas um, and they are usually qualified overqualified than than the usual comers from from the UK um, and also they are very attracted not attracted, this is where there are the vacancies, establishments where there is high vacancies and turnover rates which means that the working conditions are more difficult in these establishments. But we have been, there are observed trends of changing profile of of migrants working in the care sector since the EU enlargement. So we have even younger group, of course more white and perhaps less easily identified. Um, And actually language and possible skills differences because there is no need for them to go through language courses. Um, and they're possibly more mobile, so they have the freedom of choice. As I said, they're not tied to the, an employer. Um, they can choose. They can move from one place to one, to other place. And many of them actually like to move to other places, like Canada, other states. This is their kind of dream. So it's it's a matter of coming to the to, to the UK, perhaps improve English. Um, that's that's of course over generalisation, but this is some some of the cases that we've talked to. Uh, however, because of, ha, because of the emotionally intensive nature of this work, many come with kind of a previous experience, whether personal or they have been doing charity work at their country and they think that this is something rewarding and actually will offer them a, a more social interaction than working uh, behind a till um, somewhere in a big supermarket. Now, this is some information about the major top country uh countries, again based on the the recent the very recent data of NMDS which collected information on nationality. And I have to to have a little word of caution because of course this data provided by the employer, sometimes they know, sometimes they guess where people come from. Uh, However it's 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 very um, it comes very well with other sources of data. So we, we when we looked at the registration of non-UK qualified social workers we felt there is um, a more or less similarity. So you've got the Philippines, the top 15% of all migrants who were identified in this data set, which is were over 20,000 migrants, were from the Philippines, followed by India, Poland, and uh, Zimbabwe, Nigeria, and South Africa. And of course um, there are other countries. Now we try to look where they work um, and as you see, there's a lot here professionals, and that is mainly because there is a lot of nurses uh, coming from African countries and from the Philippines. We've got more direct care workers because there is a lot of nurses who couldn't get to that job as a nurse, but they work as a care worker on the hope that they will move on to their profession. But we've got much fewer managers, supervisors, Um, there were differences in gender and they're younger, but they work in places where vacancy rates and turnover rates are much higher than um, non-migrants. And when we did a regression model, we found uh, a significant interaction term between turnover rate and sector. So private sector with turnover rates, very high turnover rates are coming up to the most attracting or you know, um, hiring of, of migrants. Now, this is about pay. And what's interesting here, that there was not much differences between median or the, even the distribution of pay between migrants and non-migrants. And there are explanations here because we don't know what exactly the direct care migrants do, which shifts they take. Because obviously, in, in this sector, everything is priced. If you do an, a day shift, it's priced x. If you do a night shift, it's priced x plus y. And if you do a weekend shift, it's different. So so basically, these seeming similarity may hide differences um, in terms of what exactly they do. Um, and even in the among the professional group, we've got, the we've got, which one? Sorry. Now we've got the in the professional group, we've got the British slightly higher, but not as much. But what's also interesting in the professional group that if you look at the distribution of the migrants' pay, it's much squished. It's much um, squished than that of the British. The British is wider, which means that they can actually some of them can actually reach much higher pay rates, but with the migrants, they're more kind of close to that um, certain hourly rate. Now, the NMDs collected information, again, from the employers about what's the nationality of your worker. They provided information about uh, 80,000, nearly 20% of them were migrants. For the migrants, which year do you think they came to the UK? So I will caution looking at this, um, even I'm, I'm presenting it. But there are there are clear digit preferences here. But what I wanted to say here that for a bit of definition, the A eight are the Accenture countries, the eight Accenture countries that were joined the, um, the EU in two thousand and four, including uh, Poland, uh, Lithuania, Czech and a few others. And the A2 are Romania and Bulgaria who joined in two thousand and seven. The EEA countries are all the other European countries, of course excluding UK, and we've got the non EA countries, which is the subject to the new immigration cap. So just look at the figures here, because the majority are from non EEA, so we're looking up to fifteen hundred count. And we're talking about much fewer numbers, especially for the EE8 group. But what it says here, if we look from 2000 onward, or 2005 onward, we can see a trend. But the EE8, interestingly, you see a trend coming up, and then it's going down. And isn't that resonate with uh, IPPR uh, analysis, saying that most of the EE8 people came and then go, so they didn't stay? Uh, and then there was, there was this huge coming in 2005 just after joining, but then things slowed down. Now, while in the non the trade was going up until 2009, 2010. 2010, we had a drop. But this is where the interim immigration cap was in place, and that put off a lot of employer to bring in uh, new people from non if you just keep a visual picture of that, and you look at this, which asks an employer when they have joined your employment rather than coming to the UK. And you can see that it's going up for all the groups. And this may reflect a move from recruiting from abroad to recruiting from within the UK. Of course, there are, there are some issues about data. and I will be looking again on the in the new uh, data coming from the NMDS after that has been tried by more employers. But it's really saying that the sector is increasingly hiring migrants from all countries, from all backgrounds. Um, but apparently there are more and more being hired from within the UK. Now, we were very interested in the research to know what motivate people to migrate to the UK, but particularly why they come to the sector, and of course, you know the gender nature of care comes up all the time. Um, but we we don't want to say that it's a woman decision because it's always underlined by a husband or a father or a family decision. It's always supported by um, the whole kind of family norms and gender roles. Um, There of course, the macro and microeconomic factors, especially for Filipino migrants. It came a lot, and I will show you a little table about financial needs. I want to come to improve my my family conditions. And also, what we found that motives to migrate sometimes interacts with the, the motive to work in the sector, of course, because sometimes working in the sector is the only mean to come to the UK, especially a lot of people in India and the Philippines invest in a two-year course, pay the agency a lot of money, they come here on the hope of working in the care sector and moving on to perhaps the health sector. And of course, all the kind of uh, personal, professional factors. But there are also inter-country dynamics. And we found that really with the professional group, the social workers. You know, social workers from Australia feel that they are very close to the UK. And they feel that their curriculum is, is, is very near to that in the UK. So there is a kind of a strong uh, feeling um, that I come to the UK, I work, and I also can see Europe and can travel. So it's a kind of a different um, set of motives. And also it just really stepping stone. We saw that particularly as I said with nurses from Africa and the Philippines who come to work in the care sector on the hope to move to the health sector. So this is analysis from the qualitative interviews. And we asked the people to talk about uh, why did what did you why did you come to the UK and tell us a story. And then we we analyzed that and found certain things. And Just want to highlight that when we divided that by where they come from, and there is uh, roughly 20-odd people in each column, we find that, for example, that passion for English language is topped with the EA country, and that includes A8 and and A2. This is a different categorization. Uh, Or following spouse, and that is very important. These two were more kind of following spouse. So they're coming with the family, they come to the UK, they have a bit of free time, they want to help, The sector is there, they try it out, it's okay, so they work in it. That is different from Commonwealth and the Philippines, where they build on previous work and experience. They have invested work and experience in that. They have invested in the skills, um, and they're coming to use that. And of course, financial um, come differently. The Philippines come top. The most of them, the first thing they started talking is about financial needs. While, for example, for other countries, um, it's not even there. You know, Most of them are come with the family. They're not the main earner, and they're doing the care work uh, as a bit of extra. Now, I, I will have a slide on racism, because that was, that was a big issue when we talked to people. And they felt, they felt strongly about it, but they felt that they were obliged to accept it their circumstances um, require them to carry on with what they are doing. And it was mainly received from the clients rather than colleagues. It has been happening with uh, peer uh, workers. But because it comes from the clients, who most of them have a certain respect to older people, and also their induction and training told them that some older people with dementia, with certain mental health condition, they can say things, they can do things and he should accept it. But it was really happening with visual social markers. It was coming a lot from, um, from people from Africa, who he kind of identified. Um, what was interesting as well, that when we talked to UK workers, the language issue come, come up, but the perception of it was different when they were talking about the atypical migrant. And two cases were men from Poland. Um, and, and they had, an, they had an, a strong accent. Their, their English wasn't very good. Actually, in the two cases, they were coming to the care sector to meet with other people and try to improve their English. And the way their co-workers talked about them was very about impressed about, you know, they've got lovely personality, they've got a little bit of accent. That was a completely different story when they talked about an nurse from Africa and how I can't understand her and, and that sort of tone comes up. And you can see, you can see how it's going. What was also interesting is the confusion of migrants and BME UK people. So Even the employer was saying, I've got um, you know, a, a, an Asian lady. She's third generation. But I, was, I sent her to a client. And from the first day, she was refused. Um, the client completely refused to work with her. So there is this issue of there are issues here that when migrants come in, they bring it in. And how visual you are. You know, that is, that is a different story. Um, what I want to say about racism, obviously a high proportion of people in the two studies, and the qualitative study and the online survey, they said, yes, we have been subject to racism, bullying, mistreatment. Um, and it's coming across from different people, but mainly from service users. But what we found critical here is how a manager deals with any situation like that. So for example, we have two similar situations with two different, completely different responses. So in the two cases, there were black, black one woman, one man. There were social workers, one social worker, one care worker. The social worker refused entry to a service user house. Basically, the man said, I'm not going to be served by you know whatever person. Um, in that situation, the manager didn't or what, what he did was to replace that person and not talk about it and not give feedback, to, feed, at all feedback to the worker and it was a situation of, OK, you've been allocated another case. And from the manager point of view, he solved the situation. It's a difficult service user and that's fine. I'm going to give him another easy one. But for the worker, it was so difficult because they wanted to understand why this has happened and what the manager did. On another situation, in a care home, um, similar things happened. What the manager did that had stopped meeting and actually involved the daughter of the lady who had done um, this kind of incident. And that was very educational to everyone. And the worker was you know, much happier. So that the ma- managing situations, as with everything, is, is very critical. But it just understanding and realizing that this is an additional problem and uh, an additional challenge for some of the migrants. What we found that also lack of social capital, they don't have family, they don't have support. They usually bring things home if they have a spouse, and it becomes kind of a you know, bi-directional stress. You cannot know, taking work home and everything. But also many of them don't have idea about there is a citizen advice bureau, there is a professional body, there is uh, a union that you can ask, there is some website that you can get information. But time changes things, because time, of course, people who have been here for many years, they have forked relationship with, with their peer, they have also acquired more coping strategies and way of dealing with different issues. to to think about a few things. We're talking about a very heterogeneous group. Um, They are not, by all means, have the same issues. How they look, men or women, their age, their accent, their culture, all play a big role in terms of their experience and perhaps in terms of their, at one point, employability if they are here in the country. also, the, the, the immigration status is, is very important. How they are tied to an employer, how they are free to move, uh, if they are um, uh, from the EU or or perhaps with a family and, and they already settled and, and have residency. So that is that an issue, and and the social capital, lack lack of social capital and support. We've got the exploitation of workers, both in terms of employment conditions. You know, whether being assigned the difficult uh, person or being offered the only shift and the, the pressure, the own pressure that they want to have more money to send home, well, some of them want to have more money to send home, so they take more shifts and that make things even worse. And that may actually raise the issue of risk to the clients, risk in terms of concepts of care, what they are doing to care for that person, are they empowering them, and also risk if they are burnout, and if they are, um, you know, emotionally exhausted, how that can reflect in their type of service they're providing. We have all the time communication language issues. And and I would stress this communication more than language, because a lot of the workers that we've met, they have passed the language test, but they have been, for example, working in Hull or somewhere in, in Cumbria. And the accent can be very, very different. Uh, and they struggle with that. And obviously they are seen as different, as foreigner, as not um, from the same kind of texture of, 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 this, of this kind of local society. Um, and that is issue. And there is a big rule here for induction and training if people um, are employing migrants. But we always hear about personal traits. They are resilient groups, they are hard workers, everybody was saying that. And, and this is part actually of People who move, who have the initiatives to move and to start a new life somewhere else, they have certain personal traits. And again, the role of family and and peer support. Now, this is an important issue, which is attachment and substitution, which is people who move away from their family, especially the case of the Philippines. These are the most most apparent group who really move perhaps individually rather than as a family. Um, And they get in many cases, attached to a service user. And the service user may die. Um, they, they, they kind of become emotionally dependent sometimes. Um, and this is a, an, an issue. It needs to be managed well. Um, and the concept of this is a profession, you're doing a work, not looking for um, your grandma or grandpa. So that is, that is something we've seen. There are a number of policies that um, that I want just to tap on, which is the personalization agenda, which is cash for care. And that is moving a lot of the workers from the formal, regulated, countable workforce to more a gray area and a gray economy. And what is the risk for both employers, who are the users, or employees, who some of them are migrants or some of them are not? Um, This is something to observe over time. To be honest, but there is there are some anecdotes that people who take cash for care are are actually increasingly using migrants within the society because they can do um, they can do more for less, more more for for the money. Uh, we've got that EU enlargement and of course the new immigration cap, and and how that will change the dynamics in terms of the whole sector in terms of the skills that we used to attract from Africa, from India, from the Philippines. Not to mention the social workers from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, who are outside of this um, EU. They they are non-EA workers. Um, And, of course, the new kind of um, list of shortages changing every year, and and I think the care workers are not there anymore. Um, So, and also, you know... So that is something. Internally, there is the recession and and local government cuts, which means, again, that less will be provided by the state, more will be provided by the private sector. But in terms of recession, theoretically, there will be more unemployed, and theoretically, they will be maybe willing to take up some of these jobs. But what we're seeing over the last year That is, this is not what happens. We have a lot of employers, because we we rank other projects and we talk to employers all the time. They're saying, we've been sent a couple of people from the job center. They have no idea what we do. They are not interested of doing it. And they're not really going to do it. Um, And that comes really to the risk and protection of vulnerable people. There is a pressure to meet demand. Are you risk that people will do the right job um, we're talking about vulnerable people. We're talking about situations that can get really critical and get really nasty. And then, of course, we've got the concept of the big society. So maybe volunteers will do it all, which I doubt. And the private-public provision again. Um, you know, people do, you know, pay for these services, and they do expect to get a certain level of service. So just a conclusion that there is no site that demand will increase, demand will continue to grow and supply from within is not likely to catch up. We have the issue of exploitation, what can we prevent that and, and just a note here, the visual issue of recruiting, recruiting directly from, from another country, make this person known to the employer that they are not from the UK. That's a bonus because the employer usually makes effort to induct that person, to give him more knowledge about the country, etc., etc. And we've seen really great examples. For employers to recruit from within, this person becomes invisible to a certain limit that they're not, they, they're not aware of the culture, not aware of the little things that can make difference. And they don't get the same level of support. They don't get induction. They don't get more information. As people directly recruited. And it's likely that that will be the case in the next couple of years, that people will recruit from within. You'll get people who um, just came to the UK or following uh, you know, family, or perhaps refugees who are trying to start, restart their lives and, 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 and can find um, some work there. So, this is the settled migrants community because we did a study, a sub-study about refugees. And we know that doctors, nurses, who are doctors in their own country, work in the sector. Because they can't work as doctors, they can't work as engineers. Their qualifications are not usable. And they want a job. This is the available job. They like it because in most cases, they think they're giving something back to the society. Because when you think about asylum seeker, the first people they see are the social service people, social care, the social worker, who sort out their lives. And they, a lot of them kind of... I want to give something back. So that, that, is, that is something that was, was interesting. And again, we have to always be aware of the risk. Um, the risk of not finding suitable stuff, and the risk of hiring migrants who do not have the necessary skills. Um, the way the, the care is provided, and the way the, the care is received. And also the issue, the big issue of domestic work, you know, having a domestic servant, what are they doing, what kind of regulation there, what kind of training they get to handle the older person, give medication, sometimes um, take, you know, blood pressure and all that sort of things. And what is the impact of wider policies? And lastly, I just wonder, can the supply be sustainable, even with migrants? Um, without improving the labor position of the sector. And I think not. And I think there are some things that can be done which is not that radical, which does not involve much higher wages that can improve the condition. Well, one of the easy things is really to capitalize on the main motive that people join this sector. They like to work in the sector, they feel it's emotionally rewarding, but in many situations, they are actually debriefed from spending more time with the clients because their time is so scheduled, such as that they have only to spend 10, 15 minutes and move on to a different task. And it's a short-sighted policy just to get them to do this. But if they have more time, more, better quality of care will be provided and people will be retained. The main problem with the private sector is retaining staff. The turnover is so quick. People come and go, they can't do it. They think they can't do it. So pressure. They leave it and go somewhere else. So thank you. I've got some um, links to the three studies that I've said. We, we, we We report the analysis regularly on the Social Care Workforce Periodical, which is on our website. And there is a lot of issues covered there. And we always update the data we're using to include recent return. And here is this is the national study, the, the you know, the mixed method one and this is the online survey. Thank you very much for listening. And <laughs> I'm really happy to be here.